all of you. If you don't know who I am, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here and a member of the preaching team. And we are in our second week of a mini-series. We kind of like to wedge a little topical mini-series in between our working through uh, books of the Bible. And so this is a mini-series called The Lies That Divide Us. And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to that introduction because that sets up this whole series of us looking at lies that we believe cause conflict to confusion, and then treating those lies with God's word. So we're doing kind of the inverse of what we normally do in a sermon. Rather than talk about God's truth and then see some ways that we're deceived, we're talking about our deceit, and then we're treating it with God's word. And today is about change. Dun, dun, dun. Something we do not like. And I would be remiss if I did not include good old Bob Dylan in this conversation. So a song that some of you are familiar with, the times of they are a-changing. The first verse says, come gather round people, I'm not gonna use the Bob Dylan voice, uh, wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown. And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone if your time to you is worth saving and you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times of they are a-changing. Now, we would probably disagree with kind of the big general message of his song and that the old people just need to get behind what the young people were doing in the 60s, but there is a core truth there that change is happening. It's always happening. It's unavoidable. It's part of life. And the issue is we as people can only handle so much of it. I remember being taught that in school when they were training us to be pastors. They said, look, people can only handle like 10 to 20% change per year. So they said, don't go into a church and just change everything right off the bat. It's not going to go well. Some of us have experienced that. And if we look over what we've experienced over the past probably two years, we have experienced way more change than 10 to 20%. And we're not made to handle that. And it's tough. It's been nasty. And the issue is even leaders can't control change. Though leaders are often behind changes, if there were no leaders in the world, change would still exist. And I think we would admit that the waters have been rising far too rapidly for most of us. And so people, I think, I think what we see happening in our culture is that there's been so much change and we like to control change that people are trying to make more changes so they can change the power dynamic. Everyone's quitting, everybody's moving, switching churches, switching clothes, everything. Why? Because we wanna be in control of change. And there's been a lot of change we haven't been able to control lately. So let's just get right uh, into it, into this lie. Actually, before that, uh, before I state this lie, it's going to sound extreme. And it's important for us to phrase these sort of things in an extreme sense because that kind of helps us work with it a little bit better and recognize how insane it actually is. Because often the lies we believe are actually fairly irrational and extreme. So here it is. My schedule and lifestyle can, or at least should, never be changed by anyone 
besides myself. I can control change. Now, I see some of you smiling. Some of you are like, yeah, can I have that on a plaque on my wall? I like that. And, and, and some of us might say, well, that's not me. But I think deep down, there's a part of us that wants to control change. Like, we're okay with making changes in our life. But when it happens against our will, we lose it. We lose it. You want some evidence. A lot of us have a favorite restaurant, right? Maybe you have one that you're going to go to in like an hour. And now you're going to be able to listen to anything I'm saying because you're thinking about the lunch you're going to have. And you have that favorite restaurant. If you find a better restaurant, what are you going to do? You're probably going to start going to that better restaurant. And that will become your new favorite restaurant. But what if your favorite restaurant closes? Oh, no. What, what's the difference there? The change still took place. The difference is that one was against your will. You didn't have a choice. It was taken away from you. We like control. We don't like change that comes from the outside. So do we believe this lie? I think we do in one way or another. Some other questions to kind of reveal that. How do you feel when someone takes your favorite seat in church? That's been happening a lot lately. When we did the U-shape, I'm not sure how many of you remember the U-shape seats, and I had some nasty conversations with people that were just upset about that, okay? How do you feel when a certain family member isn't home for a family tradition? How do you feel when a vacation gets canceled by bad weather or sickness? How do you feel when your work schedule gets changed? How do you feel when traffic affects your ability to be on time, when you get stuck behind the school bus? How do you feel when these things happen? You feel anxious, maybe angry, maybe fearful, frustrated. The list could go on. We don't respond well to change coming from the outside because we believe this lie that we can control it or we should be able to control it. And that's not how life works. And especially that's not how the Christian life works. And that's what we're going to get to by the end of this. But I think this lie causes a lot of dysfunctions. And I think one of the biggest dysfunctions we see in the church is our struggle with community. I mean, even before I was born, we, in this church, we've been trying to do home groups, you know, where we say, hey, you know, we're going to split up and we're going to have a, a Bible study in this house and a Bible study in this house and a Bible study in this house. And almost every single time we've tried to do that, it has failed. Well, why is that? Well, there are, there are a lot of reasons for that. But culturally, here in Maine, we view our home as our castle. It is our little sanctuary. And we don't want other people coming in and seeing our little sanctuary. Now, that's not true for all of you. Some of you are very hospitable people. But we struggle with hospitality. We don't want people coming into our space, or at least not until we've spent three days cleaning it and remodeling it. And so we're resistant to Christian hospitality. Or we create this schedule for ourselves, and everything is planned out, and so we don't like disruptions to that schedule. We have a rhythm. And so, hey, church can be this little two-hour block on Sunday. I mean, you know, I've been doing that for 30 years or 40 years. You know, church gets this little two-hour block, but I don't want to deal with those church people during the rest of the week. That's me time, right? 
none of us would want to say that, but that's often the way that we live. Now, I'm ready to get myself in trouble for saying this. All right? COVID. Ooh. Now I'm going to get shot in the parking lot. I bet we could put a line down this room. Some people on one side, some people on the other. Half of the people in this room, probably during the pandemic, I'm not even sure if I should use the past or present tense at this point. We're kind of in limbo here or whatever, but half the people in this room would probably say the greatest risk to their personal lifestyle and schedule would be getting COVID. And the other half would say the greatest risk to their personal schedule and lifestyle would be restrictions from the government or from the organization that you participate with. Do you notice how that causes conflict? Because we like to control change. We like everything to kind of stay the way that we like it. People over here say, the way that I can preserve that, the way that I can get what I want is to stay healthy. So I don't care what has to happen to other people. All right, I don't care what the government tells them to do. I need to be healthy. And then group B over here says, look, I'm not too worried about the sickness, but I'm worried about people coming in and telling me how I can and can't do this. And I'm not here to tell you which side is right. Because at the end of the day, if it's all about us, something is wrong. Something is wrong. And it causes unnecessary conflict. I believe that we can disagree about our philosophies of how this whole thing works, but at the end of the day, it can't be about us. I'm getting ahead of myself. But let's, let's sprinkle some truth in here. Let's sprinkle some truth in here. We can't control change. We're all getting older every minute. Every minute, we're all getting older. Our bodies are changing. I'm 25. It's downhill from here. All right? This is like the last year the doctors say it's possible for, like, men to, you know, grow and their brain improve. It's all downhill from here. Yeehaw. And our church family is changing and growing, right? Six months ago, some of you weren't here. Other people were here. And another six months, right, some will be here, some won't be here. Right? For various reasons, moving for a new job, babies, and, and all sorts of stuff. Everything's changing. And, and change, we, we often think it's bad, but it means that we're alive. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, if you were to look at one of the statues, say in Westminster Abbey, you would find that it never complains of rheumatism and is not affected by either by heat or cold because it is not alive. But living men and living women have their changes because they have Change is a part of life. We have to come to terms with it. It means that we're alive. That's a good thing. Ecclesiastes 3, right? There's a time for everything. There's a time to live. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to harvest. We know this, yet we still struggle with it. But beyond it just being a reality of the way we live, change is an essential element of the Christian walk. Change is an essential element of the Christian walk. 
I know Ron Sargent's going to be proud of me because I alliterated. For those of you who were here 20 years ago, okay? I alliterated. So I have three S's. And the first one is sanctification. Sanctification. I'm going to be in Romans chapter 6, verses 19 through 23. Sanctification. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Before Christ comes into our lives, we're slaves to sin. We're following our passions and desires, and there are consequences of that. And the consequence is death. Okay, sin just rots everything that's around it. And when Christ buys us back out of our slavery to sin, he begins a work that we call sanctification. It appears twice in those verses. And this is a process that God uses to make us holy to make us set apart and like him. Sanctification. And it's a process we experience in this life. It's you know, not completed until we die and go home to be with God. But it's an important one. Because as we become more and more like him, we're experiencing less and less of the consequences of our flesh and more and more the fruit of godliness. So God is in the business of change. He's in the business of changing us. If God, just, God doesn't just let us do whatever we want. He steps into our life and he makes a radical adjustment to us to change our lifestyle, to change our priorities. And we see in Romans 5, in the first few verses there, that our suffering produces endurance, and our endurance produces character, and our character produces hope. Our hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So what's that saying is that God actually uses suffering, which we hate suffering, to sanctify us. That God uses the events that we would never put on our calendar. All right, none of us go to our calendar and go, man, I want to schedule a funeral for someone I love, or I want to schedule a major sickness that's going to put me in the hospital. We never want to put those things on our calendar, yet those are things that God uses to sanctify us, to make us more like him, to give us character and endurance. God uses the events we would never want to put on our calendar to make us holy. And this is one of the reasons that we can't be in the driver's seat. Many of the changes we experience are not fun. They are not good. I would never put them upon you. I would never ask for them for myself. 
and yet they are good in that God uses them for our good. That's sanctification. The second S is sacrifice. The second S is sacrifice. You can turn with me, if you want, to Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Here we see the example of Jesus. It says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the mindset of Christ. This is the mindset that God is seeking to put into us. Christ Jesus, God the Son, left heaven, was born as a man, suffered and was hated and was killed for us. I mean, the one person who deserves everything in existence to worship him and belong to him gave up so much so that we, rebels in the kingdom, could be welcomed back as sons and daughters. I mean, that's an incredible sacrifice. An incredible sacrifice. And Paul is saying, look, this is the mindset of Christ. And this is a mindset that we should have as well. Not just looking to our own interests, but also the interests of others. Christ left the highest possible position to suffer in the worst possible way so that we could be saved. Those who put their trust in him could have eternal life. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says that if anyone wants to follow him, they must take up their cross. That means to die to self. The Christian walk is us laying down our desires. And not just laying down our desires before our gods, but also laying down our desires before other people. And being willing to serve others. We talked about that this morning in HCU with neighboring That the Christian life doesn't allow us to continue to fight tooth and nail for what we want, but rather is what God wants through us for the good of others. And that's one of the hard truths of Christianity, because all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we usually put ourselves first. Our preferences, our lifestyle, our schedule. And that's the opposite of the example of Christ. So we have sanctification. God is changing us. Sacrifice the example before us and then submission. And I think this is the hardest truth of these three. Submission. This is in Ephesians 5, 
verses 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is where it gets difficult. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here Paul is telling these believers how to walk. The days are evil, you better be careful. Don't go around as a fool, getting drunk, rather be filled with the Spirit, directed by the Spirit. Okay, we got that, we're thinking about that. And be a person of thanksgiving and praise. Okay, working on that. And then submitting to one another. We hate that word. We do. In fact, the verses to follow give some examples of what it looks like for Christians to submit to one another. And those are some of the more controversial verses that we find in our Bibles that people love to argue about. Because especially as Americans, we hate the idea of submission. This country was founded with a rebellion. We love to sing about it. You know that country song, we fired our guns and the British kept it coming. I love that song. We were founded on rebellion. Yet the Christian life is to be marked with submission, not just submission to God, but out of reverence for our Savior, we submit to others. And in that, we point to Christ. We, dis- we make ourselves distinct from the world. And this especially is how we are to operate in the body of Christ. We lay aside our desires, our plans, our lifestyles, and live in a way that points to Jesus. And we do this by putting others first. And this is so, so, so countercultural. Now, does our culture like to do good works? Absolutely. Americans love to give money and give gifts. We were talking about that this morning. But the difference is, we as Americans, we like to do good on our terms. Like, send me the support letter, I'll think about it. Right? We like, especially, we like to initiate good, we don't like it thrust upon us. We like to maintain our position. And yet here we find this word, submission. We're to be servants of Christ and even servants of one another here in the body of Christ. Now these are three ideas that really I could just go on and on about. They deserve full sermons. They deserve proper treatment of these texts. We don't have time for that this morning. But I like to think of it this way, uh, as sandcastles and snowmen. So how many of you are winter people? We have some winter people here. How many of you are summer people? Okay. So if you're a summer person, just think of a nice sandcastle on the beach. If you're a winter person, think of a snowman. I have a picture of a snowman up there, I think. Yep, there it is. 
So imagine that you have a group of kids that go out and they're going to go build a snowman or a sandcastle. How long is that snowman or sandcastle going to last out in the elements? Not long. Right? Here in Maine, we got, we got double tied. Okay? So you build a sandcastle, it's gone. Okay? I cannot say, hey, let's go to Old Orchard Beach and I'll show you the sandcastle I made when I was seven. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way, right? Okay, I, I, most of the sandcastles I've ever made in my lifetime, okay, were eroding as I was building them. And the same thing with snowmen, especially here in southern Maine, we get snow and then rain, and then snow and then rain, and then snow and then rain. They melt away. So, and we as adults, we know that these are very temporary things. And yet, sometimes kids will go out and they'll build these sandcastles and snowmen, and they'll fight about it. Because one of their friends poked it and something fell off. Or thought it'd be fun to karate chop the snowman and it fell over. And certainly we would say that's not a nice thing to do. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the snowman is going to melt. The sandcastle is going to be gone. You might not even remember what it looks like. But how you treat the other kids out in the backyard, that matters. That has effects that will continue on and on and on and on. Right? You'll forget about the sandcastle, forget about the snowman. But if you keep butting heads with your brother or sister, and you say, no, I want to have my stuff and you can't touch it. You can't mess with it. If you do, I'm going to lose it. That's going to cause problems. That's not going to be fun. And it's the same way for us in the Christian life. You know, so much of what we cling to is just temporary. And it's minor and it's petty. And yet, the way that we invest in other people, the way we treat the other people in this room, the way that we actually live as the family of God goes into eternity. The majority of people in this room, Lord willing, you will spend eternity with. Like, sure, they might live, you know, 10 miles that way. You don't have to deal with them that much now. But you're going to spend eternity with these people. This is why unity is so important in the family of God. And this is why treating our neighbors well is so important because souls are eternal. I have missed so many opportunities in my life to minister to people because it seemed inconvenient to me. And I'm not here to guilt us into saying that we need to be doing evangelism 24-7, okay? That's, that's not a realistic way to live. We need to live as real people in a real world with real habits, I'm not here to say that it's improper to watch television or to do fun things. I'm not saying that. You can glorify God in those things, absolutely. But in heaven, will it matter if you slept six hours every night or eight hours every night? Probably not. Will it matter if you sat down and watched a few episodes of TV every night or just once a night, or every night or just once a week? It won't matter one bit. Okay, those things don't count towards anything. 
And yet I find in my own life, I will jealously guard the things that I weave into my schedule. Because that's me time. That's me time. And yet the way that I treat others, the time that I spend with other people, welcoming them into my home, having conversations, visiting them, that goes into eternity. And so if we want to follow Christ, that includes enduring suffering, dying to self, and seeking the good of others. We need to have an eternal perspective. We need to have an eternal perspective. If we believe the lie that our schedule and lifestyle can never be changed by anyone besides ourselves, circumstances we cannot control will send us into fits of frustration, anxiety, anger, and unhealthy fear as we claw tooth and nail to protect what we have gathered for ourselves. And that is the complete opposite of what Christ has done for us. It is the complete opposite. In a world where change is constant, the question is not if we will experience change, but when. And when change affects us, will we seek, the righte- will we seek righteousness and the good of others, or will we fight tooth and nail to protect our own comfort? Because like we said in the beginning, change is coming. There's no neutrality with change. You can't say, hey, change, I'm just kind of going to be in my own lane. You don't have to come over here. Change is coming. We experience it, okay? Our families change. Birth and death. Our education changes. Our workplace changes. Our clothing changes. Everything is constantly changing. The question is not if it will change. The question is how do we respond to the change? And will we respond with the mindset of Christ or will we respond with the mindset of the world which says, I need to protect what's mine. I need to recreate my comfort bubble. And this is hard stuff. When change affects us, will we seek righteousness and the good of others or will we fight tooth and nail to protect our own comfort? And I struggle with application because this is just such a broad idea. It's such a broad idea. But I think there are some potential areas uh, that, that some of us might need to repent in. That maybe for some of us, and, and I, I don't think this would be anyone in this room, but maybe you're listening at home, that an extreme sense of self-preservation it has prevented some people from having fellowship. Now, look, people have different, different zones of comfort and health, okay, and the past two years have just been wonky. But if, like, you have not fellowshiped with Christians in two years, okay, that's on you. That's not on what's going on around us. It's not an excuse to give up the connection. For some of us, maybe we've developed a desire for everything to be the same, and that's led us into constant complaining. That when something changes, we're the one to make a big stink about it. We're the one to just start venting to everyone about it. Maybe we've put church into a little Sunday morning box, and we're neglecting to build others up in the church throughout the week. We say, hey, my schedule is mine. I'll give you two hours here. The rest is mine. Or maybe just in general... We've made our relationships with others about what we can get and rather than what we can give. 
and it slips in so easily. So easily. I'm the most selfish person I know. While we hate change that we cannot control, these moments are great opportunities to show we have a better hope. The storms are going to come. Change, uprising, all sorts of stuff is going to happen to us. And when those around us are freaking out and clawing to get what's theirs because their hope is in what they have accumulated for themselves, we can stand apart because we say, my hope is in Christ. My hope is in Christ. My health goes away. Okay, we'll work with this. This is a new opportunity to glorify Christ. The political system changes. Okay, maybe I don't like it. This is a new opportunity to glorify Christ. My job situation changes. All right, this is a new opportunity to glorify Christ. That is the mindset of Christ, laying down our desires, laying aside what we want for the sake of others. It's difficult. But in a world of change, this is how we point to the hope we have. While we hate change that we cannot control, these moments are great opportunities to show we have a better hope. Let's pray. Lord please pour your grace out on us I, I know for me personally sometimes I've resisted your spirit because I was doing what I wanted to do I was following my schedule and so I pray that you'd bring our minds to rest and our hearts to peace in this moment. Lord, and that you would, you would bring to our minds the ways that maybe we have made ourselves the gods of our own schedules and lifestyles. And how that has made us become violent and, and angry or anxious and fearful when change occurs because it's about us. Lord, please rescue us from that and show us the fruit that comes from us, making you the center of our lives, making you the object of our change. And when changes come, we can point to you as our greater hope and we can remain steadfast under difficulty, inconvenience, powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.